You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Can We Talk? This is your boy, Eric, and I'm here with the usual suspect, Shayna, and Anthony's on the phone today. Uh, we got some special guests in the building today. Uh, we have Harrisana and Chris, both Spartans. What's hey, up? What's going good. on? Hey, what's the word? Hello, hello. So I, I found out y'all are part of your own podcast. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so um, we uh, co-host a podcast called Take Back Politics. Um, you know, we uh, cover local issues relevant to the city of Detroit, uh, okay. but also, you know, we delve into some of the national stuff happening. Um, we both come from backgrounds working in state politics. Um, and yeah, I mean, Harris can, you know, cut right into it as well. But. Yeah, so we started the politics because we realized that we have so many amazing and fantastic young people in the movement and the work. And we want to find a way to not only um, educate other folks, other mm. peers, but also elevate those voices that are out there and to talk about change and to talk about issues that are local and state-level yeah. issues that we really should care about, but from the perspective of young people. Awesome. Excuse well, my language, but I fucking love it. For love real. It. <laughs> I do, too. I'm, I'm like, we, we need to do this crossover <laughs> again. Yes. Cool. So the reason that we're here today is that there's a big election happening uh, in Tuesday, in a couple of days. And so we have these two people here um, because they are experts in politics, <laughs> right? And so we're going to talk about the ballot and break down the ballot, who you're going to vote for, what these proposals mean, and make you all more informed in the process. Uh, we all know Anthony. Anthony, do you follow politics? Uh, what's... <laughs> um, I try to. You know, I try mm-hmm. to stay in the, in the, in the know. Sure, right. I, I, all I do is swipe left on my phone, look at the news popping up, and ignore Fox News. Yeah, everybody, everybody should do that. Just ignore Fox News, please. But... But we're going to do a quick breakdown and um, let's get into the first proposal on the ballot. Proposal number one. Well, how's, how's everybody doing? I mean, what's the hip hop? <laughs> oh, we're, oh, not, we're not doing we're not doing that today. You know, we're not doing the hip hop. We're making this all politics today. Let me just say this. Swiss Beats album sucks. <laughs> Wait, Swiss yeah, Beats he, had an album? What's going on? Yeah, he, does have a, he does have an album. I, Took I, his I livelihood. To Wait, so when did this album drop? Was this uh, recently? Yeah. Friday. That's why I didn't listen yeah, to it. It's called Poison. You know, I mean, look, I like Swiss Beats and his production and his style, but it gets kind of boring after 15 minutes hearing, Game time! No! <laughs> Man, you know, Swiss Beats' son is producing wow. everything, right? His little, he's a co-producer for his albums. The guests didn't show up as much as I wanted them to. They kind of disappointed me, the guests, the guests that were on there. Oh. Were, were you feeling this uh, new Royce the 5'9 album? I, did, did you listen to that yet? Book of Ryan? Yeah, Book of Ryan. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of old, but yeah, I love that album. I, it, we had, um, so the nonprofit that I work for, shout out to Citizen Detroit, um, had a Get Out the Vote rally where we featured uh, Royce the Five Nine as a headliner for the little concert that we had. Um, it was cool. It was really cool. And he, uh, you know, said a couple words about, you know, the <laughs> civic engagement side and did a couple songs. It was pretty cool. I got a question. What do y'all see? And now y'all on the, y'all on the, ground, the ground roots or grassroots. Uh, what do y'all see in terms of engagement with youth right now in this upcoming election? Um, it, it's really, there's, there's so many different facets of it. Um, it's hard to get people really interested and invested in politics sometimes, uh, who are the younger demographic because, uh, so many myths, so many demoralizations yeah. about, oh, like this doesn't matter. Oh, like it's all corrupt. Oh, right. like, you know, man, I, I've been helping out on campaigns and, you know, 
know, working in politics now for about four or five years. Mm. Um, you know, when you when you take somebody who so this um, this is about my friend uh, Charles Seta Wilson. She's a member of Unite Here. It's a union that um, you know really puts forth. Um, they, they they focus on hospitality workers, casino workers, mm. uh, sort of low end wage workers. Um, and they really fight and advocate on behalf of their issues. Charles Edward Wilson was a first-time candidate, really inspired by um, really kind of taking the labor movement and fighting and advocating for people. Um, and, you know, she didn't know. She wasn't connected. She wasn't involved. Like, you know, like she she was always involved in activism, but mm-hmm. she was never like, you know, political, so to speak. And so to hear people, you know, make these assumptions about what it means to be involved in politics uh, when I have somebody like Charles Seta who worked her ass off yeah. um, to run in this election and, you know, really built it from the ground up, um, mm-hmm. built her campaign um, and, and you know, doing communications, knocking doors, talking people like, you know, at, at, at the level that they're at. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like those are really inspirational things for me where she was motivated enough to really put herself out there in a public way um, mm-hmm. to make things happen for for other people. So yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. That's definitely awesome. And you're starting to see a lot of, um, you know, entertainers, musicians, as you said, you know, Royce the Five Nine getting involved in this this movement. And I think that that's why you're starting to see a little bit more enthusiasm, at least nationally, um, that, that I can see on, on the news. Well, I think that's a lot to do with messaging because, yeah. I mean, for so long, you know, the average age in Congress is 60. Yeah. And, you know, all of the things that are coming up right now, like home ownership and student loans, there are a lot of things that young people care about that just haven't been directly messaged to them. So then how can you advocate for what you don't know? Right. And so I think it's really powerful to see role models, especially in the entertainment space, which is where a lot of our youth are are gravitating towards, you know, looking for role models and seeing them, you know, push back against the whole sing your songs and make your money and be grateful mm-hmm. for that. They're using their platforms to engage people. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up in Nashville, Tennessee. Okay. And so a deep, deep red state and Nashville's yeah. kind of like one of the few there and Shelby County where Memphis is, the few counties where there is, you know, some sort of Democrat influence. Mm-hmm. But Taylor Swift, who is someone who came up in Nashville, very famous, has a very conservative crowd that is a fan of her music. It was just so inspiring to see her say, you know what, not only is this against what people may perceive of me, and also I would love to support a woman, but I'm looking at the issues that matter and that matter to young people. And if we want to keep our state moving forward, we got to buy into that. And Mm -hmm. turnout in Tennessee in like a week tripled what it was in two months prior. And so that's the impact of somebody coming up and saying, hey, you know what, I have a following. I'm going to use this platform to empower everyone wow and i'm it's it's exciting to see and i heard that the voter turnout the early voter turnout in in texas was higher than the actual midterms turnout in general in 2014 so that kind of shows you like people are are ready they're ready to get on board Mm -hmm. speaking of issues that affect younger people and we're sort of gravitating towards the use of marijuana (laughs) right (laughs) proposal one one. and so uh let me pull up a little bit of, of the language regarding proposal one but this is going to be on the ballot it's definitely important to read through um so proposal one will allow under state law the personal possession and use of marijuana by persons 21 years of age or older so this proposal will allow you to have at least to buy up to 2.5 ounces a day and possess up to 10 ounces in your home as long as it's properly uh, secured um you can also have you could grow 12 plants for personal use and what will happen is the state will tax a six percent sales tax and then additional 10 percent tax on top of that. Um, so what are some of the benefits do you see? There's a lot of benefits I see. Well, let's, talk, let's talk through this a little bit. Proposal one. Uh, what are some of your benefits? 
yeah. some of the cons, pros and cons of this uh, proposal? Uh, I guess just to hop into it, um, I, I think about it from a revenue standpoint, right? Yeah, um, definitely. The money that will be made um, from the sale and the use of marijuana in the state, um, specifically, there will be, um, you know, allocated money that goes dedicated to schools that will mm-hmm. be going to uh, the local communities in which, um, you know, those products are sold in, right. um, certain amount for road repairs. Um, so those are all things that directly will be contributing and there's a little formula and how's they're going to divide up that pot um but basically um there are um revenue sources that are going to be coming associated with um the use of marijuana should it become legalized um for recreational um and i I guess some of the some of the pushback that i've heard out there is that you know people when it comes to the revenue source they kind of feel it's kind of a perverse kind of incentive to um, you know, throw schools in the mix with like, you know, marijuana. Um, but I don't know. It's kind of, uh, if, if you look at it from a standpoint of revenue is revenue and right. this is money that you otherwise wouldn't have to better the educational system. Um, exactly. You know, the, the you kind of got to choose your side on this. So. Right. Like we yeah. tax alcohol and cigarettes. Like, so, right. so in statistically, no one has died from marijuana use. Right. So, um, I think it's one of those things where we just need to take a page from what's happening in Canada. You know, look th- look at them as sort of being a template for what we can do as a hopefully as a country. I mean, it's going to take a lot more in terms of reversing federal policies, but um, on a state level, this can be just sort of again using what Colorado, California has done, and just tax it. You know, make it make it a revenue source, and you know, go from there. Um, I, I don't see the big deal. <laughs> I don't see why people oppose it. Well, I know there's some folks who um, are concerned that it does not do enough on the criminal justice front Mm. as regards to you know take you know bringing back some convictions towards folks with marijuana related convictions and such um i mean i think it does it is going to limit how many arrests that we have and i think it's a smart move since we are already right across the river from canada and we know it's a huge huge issue with marijuana being transported back and forth and so i think it's going to alleviate a lot of stressors but Mm. still i think it's the conversation of you know at the federal level what does that mean Mm. and how that's going to go i think you know for the opioid addiction in michigan i think this could be really huge yeah. It's a legalized, more regulated form of medicine that folks can use for chronic pain, chronic mm-hmm. illness. And that's really where we see a lot of folks getting stuck into opioid addiction is that they yeah. start with a painkiller. They start with something to you know alleviate pain, alleviate stress, and then all of a sudden it's a full-blown addiction. Yeah. And so while like, you know, we can't be naive to the dependency properties of right. marijuana, I think it's not as addictive. It's not as detrimental. And mm-hmm. I think that could open the door for us to be more innovative as a state when we look at medical reform mm-hmm. and ways that we can eliminate other addictions moving forward. And then to piggyback off the criminal justice, like in Colorado, the of course, marijuana possessions went down right. for adults, but they went up for children after the legalization of marijuana. Mm-hmm. So we definitely need to keep an eye on that. And then, like, I'm I'm pro-legalization of marijuana, but I'm anti-edibles, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That makes because sense. Because they yeah. make edibles look like anything. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. like, I, like, like, they they make them look like cereal. <laughs> like, yeah. suckers, you got cookies, you got gummy bears. Yeah, and not just that. any that's... type of cereal. Like, they don't make it look like Raisin Bran. Yeah. Because if they do that, then, okay, I'm cool with that. But they make it look like Fruit Loops, <laughs> gummy true, bears, suckers. I have a seven-year-old, you know? Yeah, and right. then and I, she loves food. 
And I mm. tell her, like, you can't just eat. get in the stuff. Right? You, you can't just get in the stuff and you can't eat everybody's stuff because you don't know where they got it from. Exactly. Yeah. And this is a conversation that my parents didn't have to have with me. Yeah. When mm-hmm. I was seven. I mean, but just like, but sort of like any other substance, because I mean, there's ways to mask, you know, alcohol in, in various ways. But any, with any substance, there takes some responsibility on the, the business owners to ensure that they're taking the steps to um, try to safeguard from any, any youth under 21 from uh, accessing that, that substance. So what they need to do is try to, I don't know, maybe at these dispensaries, they can have like a little swipe card where you swipe your ID, shows that you're. Have you been 21? to a dispensary before? I have not. All right. So, sorry, Mom. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, I, in Canada, I went to one that was in Canada. I've also been to one in Colorado. And it's it's very strict. Yeah. It's very strict. I mean, you come in, you walk in, and there is an individual at the door mm. who says, hey, give me your ID. <laughs> yeah. He checks your ID. They let you in. You go into maybe a waiting room area, get in line. They verify everything right wow. in that spot. Like, you don't touch anything. You say, I want this, and they get that, package yeah. it for you. And then repackage it within a, a car safe black bag that oh. locks that you have to stow away from you. And so oh. it's actually really cool. And so it's like a kid can't get into it. So to yeah. your concern about, you know, young people saying, oh, I see a cookie, a brownie. If you give it, put it in the packaging, which I mean is saying that you're a responsible adult and packaging it appropriately. The zipper is clipped so that no one who's young could actually get into that. And so it was interesting to see those safety mechanisms in place, you know, two weeks yeah. after their legalization. So I just imagine that the United States and how we do it in Michigan, especially since we're a border city as well, it's going yeah. to be much more stringent. Yeah. And, I mean, but I'm, I'm looking at so many benefits, not only the, the aspect of um, the criminal justice and sort of minor offenses such as possession of marijuana will no longer be, be looked at or considered, but also the business benefits of it. You know, we're going to have a lot more individuals who can open up businesses, um, you know, hopefully deter people from the street, street life, get them into actual viable real businesses. Um, and I think it could have so much of a long-term effect that's positive. With that being said, though, I think that um, obviously regulating if uh, an adult gives a child under 21 marijuana, it should be obviously a crime, just like a dog giving someone uh, alcohol or, or cigarettes. Um, so I think that that I should that. go ahead, Anthony. No, I, um, I was going to say, I don't really have anything against edibles. I mean, I hear what Shane is saying, but I mean, like that's, that's kind of a threat with most things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Have you used it? No, <laughs> allegedly. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's get into the second proposal, um, and that's the the gerrymandering um, <laughs> proposal. Anti gerrymandering. The anti gerrymandering. So the redistricting, <laughs> the, the redistricting or anti gerrymandering proposal. So they're going to create a thirteen member independent citizen redistrict redistricting commission. Um, so it's made up of four Republicans, four Democrats, and then five. I guess independent. So I guess we can talk about that later. But these five (laughs) self-identified independents. So what will essentially happen is, is that they will come together prior to um, uh, what is it? Not elections, but they're going to essentially come together, draw out and map their own districts based off of what they think is is fair. Yeah. They have to comply with the Voting Rights Act, and mm-hmm. they can't. And, that, and every district has to have around the same number of people in it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So they can't like like redistrict, you know, a certain area right. downtown, like somewhere that's typically black, and then redistrict mm-hmm. it to the where it's not all white. So currently, it's, it's um, you know districts are carved up based off of who kind of holds political power at that time, right? So yeah, mm-hmm. um, I've seen districts where you have parts of Detroit sort of 
connected with like Farmington Hills and you know it's kind of crazy at this point so uh, for you all and I know you all work in politics currently um, what would be some direct benefits that you see from this proposal well I think first right off the bat we should dispel the rumor that it is a party versus B party when it comes to gerrymandering gerrymandering happens everywhere (laughs) both parties are responsible of it and you know, I mean, it really does come down to who is in power. So like Eric, yeah. you were describing the ability to decide seats is held with the legislature. Mm-hmm. Whichever party is in power, they get to decide how the seats are drawn because it's up to a simple majority yeah. and the approval of the governor. So seeing our current situation in Michigan, it's very easy for the Republican Party to have the advantage mm-hmm. to draw party lines to benefit them and their party. Right. And at the state level, they have the ability to do it for state seats as well as our congressional seats. So... There are a lot of concerns that if we introduce an independent commission, it would Mm -hmm. remove all of that bias that comes with the parties in power. Mm -hmm. But something to recognize in this ballot initiative is that in spelling out who are the folks that can participate in this, it's folks who pretty much have no party affiliation, don't hold Mm -hmm. elective office, don't work for somebody that holds elective office, does not work for a party, is not a consultant, does not have PAC affiliations. And so when you get that down to it and then look at the general demographic of people who are interested, you know, aware civic citizens, you know, it is very limited. And so I think this is a really exciting opportunity to engage and empower our constituency to be more involved because they have a lot more power and a lot of what they decisions they make are at stake. And we want educated folks to do that. The difficulty I see, though, is that, like, as you said, if if they're finding these independent individuals, um, who's to say that? And we had a discussion about this. Who's to say that they don't just lie and say, oh, I'm not. I'm not a Republican. Well, yeah. Who's to say that they yeah, just don't they're lie? self-identify. Like they don't yeah. go by like your previous mm-hmm. like voting record. And there's also nothing breaking down to say, you know, what what ethnicity they have to be, it's what true. gender they have to be, what socioeconomic background, what kind of diversity that we want in those questions. And like as we mm-hmm. look at politics right now, we can see that folks who generally are affluent, folks who generally have higher levels of education, et cetera, tend to be the ones who you know, more likely get get the opportunities to do these things. Yeah. But at the same time, there is an advantage of having someone from a different background you know, speak on behalf of all people. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think it's important to bring the power back to the citizens and let them control, you know, this this aspect of, of um, politics. But I think that we have to, and I hear a lot of the political ads saying, oh, it's, it's going to be, uh, the commission's going to get paid all this money. You know, they're going to have all this power. 40K a year. Yeah. So, yeah, here, what, 25% of what the governor gets paid. That's what the commission will make. Right, right, right. I've, I've heard that. Yeah. Um, I, I guess my thing with it is, um, you know, I, I'm in favor of the, the proposal. Um, my, my concerns with it were, um, you know, the, the idea that um, when we draw these type of um, partisan neutral districts, it makes them more competitive, which is a good thing. Competition in politics is good. Um, you know, it prevents that stagnation. It puts forth newer, better ideas. Um, but also competitive contests come with more expensive elections. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that could be a concern of mine is that um, what type of individual will come out of mm-hmm. um, a process that looks like that, that is a more high cost competition. Mm-hmm. Uh, what individuals who have resources and access to those types of things might be um, a part of that conversation. But overall, um, I mean, I, I think um, intellectually it's a very good idea um, because it isn't, you know, to, to have elected officials who have basically skin in the game to draw things in their favor right. and for their party um, is not the way that democracy should work. Yeah. Um, that's not 
you know, the ideas or foundations of what we stand for. So, yeah. So can I add in a bit of context that might help Chris's point? So right now in races, when we look at how districts are drawn, parties are able to allocate where their funding is going to go. Mm-hmm. So say you have you know, very limited competitive districts, you know, where you maybe have like a 51, 48% split between the candidate running for the Democrats, candidate running for Republicans, more money is going to go into that race right. as opposed to races where, you know, it's an 80 80 percent Dem seed. You know, yeah. you don't see Republicans, you know, investing large, large sums of money in Detroit races because that's how that turnout is. Yeah. And so to that point, looking at how much folks are going to contribute to races can completely blow it out, make it more expensive. And Michigan, too, has some of the most lax campaign finance laws. And so I think, you know, while I support this proposal, I think it's going to bring in a lot of other questions and considerations for um, legislative sessions down the line. Oh, I didn't think I didn't think about that. Thanks for informing me because I had. <laughs> but I mean, I, th- I think that uh, the benefit of, um, again, so many people are disenfranchised because they feel that they vote, their vote doesn't count. And a lot of times the gerrymandering played an effect in that, right? right. Um, just the psychological impact of, well, not just psychological, but the physical impact of, of creating these new borders where your vote's being diluted right, right. By, by other um, other outside districts. Um, and so as a person who's a voter who may not be as civically engaged, I would feel like this is something, a way for me to actually get my voice heard for once. Right. Mm-hmm. So right. I, that would definitely, for me, I'm right. voting yes on this personally. Oh, I, 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 you know, to, to speak a little bit of your point and then cross stitch over to your point, um, about the Voting Rights Act earlier. Um, you know, I, I did a lot of deep diving into, um, sort of like the history of Voting Rights Act, um, with, you know, the concept of gerrymandering. Um, so, um, I haven't had a chance to read the book, but uh, I read through sort of a brief summary of Tennessee Coates as we were eight years in power. Uh-huh. Um, talks about, um, you know, after the Civil War Reconstruction, um, there was a whole wave of, you know, black elected officials through the South. Um, but however, um, you know, there were um, efforts to, you know, basically these were largely um, you know, recently freed slave mm-hmm. communities that were, you know, knitted, knitted together, um, and produced elected officials. Um, but the ways in which gerrymandering worked back then were, you know, the white, um, elect, the, the white sort of uh, election administrators that were not comfortable or happy or, you know, just felt white supremacy was the thing to do at the time. Um, they would draw districts in ways that would, you know, instead of having it as a district, they would draw it at large. So it'd be a countywide race instead of, you know, a race that was specific to the community. So the, the larger white, uh, population, uh, in the county would outweigh the black community. So therefore those elected officials that we used to see would actually get taken away and replaced by white, um, you know, uh, elected officials because, uh, they, you know, the the way in which the district was drawn was to produce that outcome, uh, yeah. to take away that black power, um, which was, you know, that's crazy. It's crazy history. And I think it that's is. why the Voting Rights Act is so important. Definitely. Because that was, that was interesting. I, I read a little bit about that as well. And just, shut the doors of Congress. Like, can't, <laughs> you can't, you black, you can't come in. Yeah. Right. But I mean, that's that's power and control. It's everything, right? Um, I do want to touch on something that really talks about the voter, Voting Rights Act and sort of um, solidifies the right of certain citizens that over the past few years, you can feel like um, we were being stripped away of some of our, our, our rights, you know, in terms of um, the straight party ticket being taken away, um, you know, sort of the difficulty of it, it is to register to vote. So Proposal 3 is really going to make that a lot easier. So Proposal 3 is going to protect the rights uh, to vote a secret ballot 
is going to ensure military service members and overseas voters can obtain ballots, provides Michigan res- residents with an option to vote trade party, automatically register citizens to vote at the Secretary of State's office unless the citizen declines, allows a citizen to register to vote anytime with proof of, proof of residency, provides all registered voters access to an absentee ballot for any reason, and ensure the accuracy and integrity of elections by auditing election results. So this is going to be huge, and I'm, I'm looking forward to this going through. Um, there are so many instances where they're making it harder for us to get our votes out. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's becoming almost another form of you know, voter suppression um, in many cases, and so I'm all for it. I really have no cons, yeah. <laughs> cons about yeah. this. I don't, yeah. I don't know if you all what your thoughts are. I am so I'm so in favor of this yeah. because so, you know, I used to work for Safe and Just Michigan as our outreach coordinator. Mm-hmm. And it's a criminal justice nonprofit that mm-hmm. works on, you know, supporting returning citizens as well as currently incarcerated persons and crime survivors. And something that I ran into all the time was that people were just so unaware that they could vote. Like if they, right. you know, are previously incarcerated now are out and are in probation, they can vote. And what was heartbreaking is that a lot of folks wouldn't even realize this until it was too late. To register to vote. And so something that's really important to this is when it says when a proposal says that you can vote at any time, that means you can vote same day. And a lot of folks will say, oh, it'll increase lines. But that can be so powerful for someone, because I think one of the underlying themes about lack of engagement of young people, people of color, uh, anyone really across the board is just misinformation. Folks don't understand, you know, when they can register to vote, when, Mm -hmm. you know where they can vote, that they can vote through the clerk's office at any time, that they're able to submit an absentee ballot if they have an occupation or a situation that doesn't allow them to vote conventionally on election day. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's really hard when somebody is like, oh, my gosh, boom, light bulb, I get it. And then, you know, they can't make it to the polls and they have to wait till the next cycle. And, you know, that's this is a way an equitable democracy is supposed to work to make sure that everybody, no matter where they are, when they're ready, they can jump in and engage and that their voice is valid because I can tell you to tell someone that they have the capacity to do something. Oh, but it's too late. Oh, but it's not you. Like it's going to set them back and it's going to make them think that the process isn't made for them. And so I'm really proud of this proposal because I think it really does, you know, beyond that, you know, talking about our active duty citizens across the country and outside of the country, you know, them having an ability to, you know, cast their vote. Mm -hmm. This can trickle down to college students, people who are traveling, people who are expats. And so it has a really great opportunity to engage a lot of Americans on the electoral process. Oh, and I I totally think um, the concept of, so, you know, right now um, we have (coughs) federally motor, they call it motor voter um, policies where in which um, anytime you have a transaction with the secretary of state, right? So you get your driver's license renewed or you get like a little personal state ID. Um, they always present you with a little form. They say, Hey, would you like to vote right now? Um, and whereas in other states that have this automatic registration, um, they are already considered opted in and it's on them to opt out. Whereas here it's on us yeah. to opt into voting. Um, and so when we kind of flip that, around um it's a better system all the way around for people to automatically be in the system um and that gives them more opportunity to really facilitate their vote um and then the second thing is that um this is kind of the pitfalls of voter registration is that like you know michigan is a state that like you know because of this motor voter situation um, most everybody's registered like we have you know our registration rates are pretty high it's something like in the 90 percent um but the 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 whole Political participation is a two-step process. It's, mm-hmm. you know, registering the vote, but also casting your vote. Um, and so having, you know, a, ability to 
register and vote same day um, will take people who, like you said, might hit that light bulb and say, oh, I get it now. Like, I really am interested. I'm vested in the process. Like, I want to get out and do this. Um, and they'll have the opportunity to do that at that same day as opposed to having to, you know, maybe bumble around and wait and, you know, kind of uh, let that let that passion stew and kind of cool off. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's a really important part of this process that people be able to, you know, get out there and actually do and complete their vote um, as soon as they want to. So, And it just seems so simple, like yeah. just being able to you know, register, just go to Secretary of State, you know, get your license and you're automatically registered. Like it just, just seems like that's to be the, the most logical step. Um, yeah, there are no cons, to, in my opinion, to this proposal. But I want to say that my favorite part <laughs> is <laughs> the the no questions asked absentee ballot. Right. Yes. Yeah. I feel like yeah. um, elections – a lot of people, they don't opt out. They got to go to work. Right, right. Thank you. Seriously. Yes. So, um, and then, like, you know, the polls close at 8, and, mm. you know, they, we got to get our kids together in the morning, yeah. drop them off at school, go to work. Like, it life, you know? And I right. feel like this will increase engagement. Yeah. And can I just speak to that point? Because something I've noticed in this cycle, and, like, I've gotten some unpopular opinions about it, but whatever. But I've I've seen a lot of young people actively being like, you better vote or else, like, I'm going to fight you. Or throw, these, throw these hands. Yeah, that, <laughs> that happens in every election cycle. And, mm. But, like, the point that you just made, it's like there's so many barriers beyond just not knowing. Like, right. folks have to go to work. Folks have disabilities. Right. Folks can't stand for long periods of time. Like, right. I remember as a child sure. growing up in Tennessee, um, this elderly woman who, you know, was really great, always going out and knocking doors and helping people out. And one day she was just like, I can't go to the polls anymore. Mm. And she had to get an absentee ballot. But, like, she had a reason to because of her age and she was involved but how many people are just like I can't make it to the polls I can't stand that long I've got bad knees or you know I have a situation where I can't drive and nobody in my family has a means to get transportation to the polls and there's a plethora of reasons why folks aren't engaged but like let's be kind and remember that like so before we tell someone like hey you not voting is bad and you're a bad citizen you know try to help them first of course there are people who are like my vote doesn't matter and it's like oh <laughs> but, but I mean, like, especially like, you know, call to action for everyone listening to this, like find somebody who hasn't voted and ask them why and ask them how you can help mm-hmm. and listen and True. listen and listen to the reasons that they give you and listen to gain understanding. Yeah. And offer solutions. I agree. Yeah, we're so quick to dismiss like, oh, what? You're not voting. We're not friends. You're right. <laughs> yes. So true. We, did, we just need to somebody, somebody threw this around. They said we need to make it a national holiday. Everyone gets day off of work. Right. And just go to vote. Right. That so makes less sense. I live without McDonald's for Right. I grew up with that. So in Tennessee, we had a day off from voting. And it was so interesting because like, not only were we, you know, not in school, but our teachers were like, you're going to know why you're not in school. And they built yeah. it into the curriculum. And I think, you know, culture like that can really, you know, not just instill in young people, but, you know, on top of that. My parents took me to vote with them because I couldn't yeah. stay at home alone as a seven-year-old. And I've been in the voting booth with my parents since I was a little right. kid. Right. And if families have the capacity to bring that culture, you know, to their sure. homes, to their families, and like, that's huge. Yeah. It also, you're right. It all starts in the home and it's solidified through the school. So, you know, parents, if you are parents and you, um, your, your kids not in school, take them with you, right? Take them with you and show you what, show them what it's like to participate in this, this duty that we have. Um, all right, well, let's, for time restraints, I know we got to get through it. Um, let's go through the ballot. Well, let's go through the, the races. So we have the governor's race, Bill Schuette versus Gretchen uh, Whitmer. Um, who do y'all expect to win? I, feel, I think I think Gretchen was 
leading by I, expect is a very oh, yeah, yeah let's, let's not say because we know what happened when we expected people to win last time oh. who's who's favorite right now okay. well the points do show that senator whitmer is in the lead yeah, yeah. significantly yeah um I know that, you know, margins do tighten up closer to the election, okay. but I mean, folks are like pretty confident that, you know, the top of the ticket is pretty much in. It makes me nervous, though. The damn sense. But then also 2016 fear. happened and I'm traumatized. Right. So. Right. I was like, oh, she, Hillary's going to win. This. I'm like, yeah. oh, wow. Like people lie in these polls. Oh, my God. The <laughs> night of the third debate, I blocked, I bought plane tickets to D.C. I bought yeah. the tickets because I'm like cackling. Like, <laughs> like, I'm not going to win this because he's like, nobody respects women more than me. Oh, yeah. My whole world laughs. And then. Ugh. Yikes. And then that happened. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> so anything um, that stands out with his race? What I feel like I think Bill Shooty is pretty much conceding the fact that he's going to lose at this point because I think he saw that Gretchen has has been getting so many donations and people are backing her. Right. He kind of he's pushing his other Republican members yeah. as opposed to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of the um, you know national Republican advocate groups um, have pulled support. Um, you know, kind of quietly. The the money's kind of dried up yeah. uh, for the shooting campaign. Um, and even the Metro Times was saying that he's broke. Uh, I, I, I don't even want to, you know, delve into that. Right, right, right. right. Allegedly. <laughs> right, well, allegedly. Something that we can prove is I do not think that the president is going to make a trip to Michigan. Oh, no. And so that's huge. So he's compa- come campaigning. Wow. Campaigning yeah. in a lot of the other battleground states. Yeah, right. Um, but it's really interesting. And I was listening to a podcast that had um, uh, Ron Ronna. Ron and Rami McDaniel on it. And it was really interesting. They said the plan was for him to come during the Aretha Franklin funeral, but which it wouldn't have been appropriate. And I'm just like, "Mm, I'm not sure. No, don't do that. I'm not sure. So it's interesting to see like at the national level, it's like, you know, do your best. Right. (laughs) But I mean, it is interesting because it's the last couple of weeks. And Mm -hmm. I think the ads really do show like where the ad buys are who you're seeing commercials for who you're seeing commercials for a lot will indicate who's really comfy in their money and it's getting ridiculous oh okay for those of us who don't know who is bill shooty oh he's the attorney uh, the attorney general of uh yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> he is our sitting, current sitting attorney general. Okay, uh, Chris, you might have to help me out with this because I don't know the years. But he was formerly a congressman. Yeah, he, he was. A, he was a congressman. Um, I forget what the 80s. years were. Yeah, he, like way back. He's back been in, in politics for like thirty years. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so yeah, it's it's um. It's funny because he attacks Gretchen Whitmer as the career politician, but right. Gretchen Whitmer even said that you've been in this game more than I've longer than I've basically been alive. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's like chill. Yeah. Um but yeah, no, I, I think um, you know, as far as um, you know, who is favored right now, uh, I think Gretchen Whitmer um, you know, has a strong lead. Um and that's according to the polls. I don't want to right. listen. Yeah. I I, <laughs> I, have, grain of salt. I have ate my hat <laughs> in speaking. It's like there's you know. no wood in this room. Nothing right now. Right. So I mean, yeah. so what are some of the things that, that Gretchen stands for? I know she wants to fix yeah. our roads. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Fix the damn roads. Yeah. Fix the damn yeah. roads. Every yeah. commercial I'm like, fix the yeah. roads. Y'all, the bus right now is called the Fix the Damn Roads Tour, and I'm here <laughs> for it so much. <laughs> oh my god uh, universal child care you have, you have universal child care mm-hmm. um yeah well, obviously education she's, oh, she's please, jesus for, education for, right yes yeah. protecting uh medicaid mm-hmm. um is something through the affordable care act um you know and that's one of her signature accomplishments as uh her time as a state senator so so yeah a little bit about gretchen whitmer she is currently or used to be a state senator um and you know is now running for uh governor 
Um, but one of her big achievements um, as the Democratic leader in the Senate um, was working with, uh, you know, the governor, uh, Republican governor, Rick Snyder. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, actually, this was a policy maneuver that uh, Governor Snyder, um, to his credit, um, you know, when um, all the other states were um, falling away from the Affordable Care Act and saying, you know, uh, basically, the federal government under under the Affordable Care Act was like, hey, we'll give you, you know, X amount of dollars to preserve and protect, um, you know, health care through Medicaid mm-hmm. um, and help implement those programs. And a lot of other states were like, we don't want your dirty Obama money. Like, <laughs> like, Obama. like yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Um, and and actually, to his credit, um, Governor Rick Snyder um, decided that actually this is something that would uh, really benefit the people of Michigan. It's called the Healthy Michigan Program. Mm-hmm. Um, and Gretchen Whitmer was one of the leaders, um, you know, and, and the commercial says going desk to desk to get support for, mm-hmm. um, you know, for this initiative that, um, in Michigan, that is, uh, 600,000 Michiganders now have expanded access to healthcare coverage because of that policy. Wow. Um, and so that is something that is a really big, uh, initiative, uh, signature achievement, and a really big issue um, across the country um, this election cycle. You see that in Florida. Um, they are having the conversation. They are a state that didn't accept uh, Medicaid expansion. So that's a that's a Andrew Gillum and uh, Ron DeSantis are fighting that out. Um, even in Nevada, actually, where I just came back from, um, they're actually, you know, talking about health care because the senator there voted, said that he wouldn't, you know, um, vote to take away those protections. But Trump got him in a corner, pressured him a little bit and said, you know, you still want to be a senator, right? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Basically threatened him on TV. Like, um, and and so, yeah, like, and and so that, that Senator Dean Heller, um, you know, switched his vote and voted against, uh, uh, keeping those protections and healthcare protections Mm -hmm. for people. Um, and so we've seen this be an issue nationally across the scene, uh, you know, that healthcare is something that really matters to people. Yeah. I mean, one thing, one thing about uh, Whitmer's campaign, I, I definitely like her lieutenant governor selection. Garland. He I mean, he just seems like a, a really down to earth guy who understands what's the needs of the citizens. And I, I like that. And, and yeah. if you weren't excited about Gretchen, I think that yeah. he can draw those people who were kind of on the fence, I, I believe. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think it's worth getting into a little bit of Garland Gilchrist history as well, because oh, yeah. he ran yeah. for city clerk against Janice Winfrey yeah. um, last cycle, last year in 2017. And there was a recount. It was a very tight Close. race. Yeah. It was. But I mean, he campaigned in a way that I I saw that I thought was unique to me and just mm-hmm. not in the sense of like, please vote for me because I would be a good clerk, but yeah. also in the sense of please vote because you matter. Yeah. Please vote because it like your vote has value and our community has value and can have more when you're engaged. And that kind of empowerment inclusivity, especially in a city like Detroit, which, you know, on top of our state being incredibly politically polarized, the city really is too. When we look at, you know, businesses and the wealth gap and, you know, the 7.2 versus the full square mileage of the entire city. I mean, I think he was a candidate that really spoke to all the different sects of people. Mm. And that's something that we don't see very often. So I was really, really proud to see him join the Whitmer campaign because I think his messaging is something that can be really influential for the next generation of leadership. And also, too, like, let's not sleep on the fact that he will be the first black lieutenant governor in the state of Michigan. And that is huge for us. Mm -hmm. I mean, we I don't believe we've had a black senator yet. No, 
No, no, no. And that, so, that's why the John James people yeah. say it's about time. Right. And so, across the board and all the way up and down the ticket, like we mm. are seeing, especially in top of the ticket race, regardless mm. of party affiliation, no more diversity yeah. than we've it's ever needed. seen. Like if it's not a person of color, it's a woman. woman. Yep. So like, whoa, that's huge. Like, don't forget about yeah. that. And so, and I mean, it's, it's trickling down the ballot. I think we were at, you know, 29 plus millennials who are running mm. for state house and state Senate wow. seats right now. Yeah. Tons of folks who are running in lower local races. I mean, the Charter Commission for Det- not trying to jump all the way around, but the Charter mm-hmm. Commission for Detroit, like most of those candidates are young people, are Good. people who are probably Good. under 40. And like that is amazing to see that kind of leadership, especially out of a city where a lot of the leadership is in the older demographic. Yep. And so I think that this supercharge in this cycle of young talent is really inspiring. And it's exciting that we're being pulled up by, you know, the more incumbent, more established leaders within our respective parties. Because representation matters. That's that's the key. But speaking of John James, (laughs) so U.S. Senate race. Or Don James. I opened the box. Don James. Don 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 James. James. So that U.S. Senate race. So we got Debbie Stabenow. Yes. And her uh, going against John James, who is... An interesting guy. He's he's or Don James. I mean, he's, call he's closing. He he's it's, it's not tight. closing it by much. It's tight. It's, this is going to be a this toss up. The press releases are run by county by county. It's like Calhoun County and this other place. Yeah, high, but yeah. I, mean, I don't know. I live around a lot of John James signs oh. with that helicopter. What does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> does, does anyone know much about John James? He's other a than he served in man. he's a businessman. He served in the uh, he's a the Marines or no? Oh, I don't know if it's Marines. He's a helicopter. Hell, he's a helicopter Apache pilot. pilot. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he's, I guess, closely follows Donald Trump's policies. He and is a descent. He has campaigned on being a descendant of slaves. Yeah. And you also had a swastika in his. Who, his who what? Yeah. Like, he's like <laughs> my great grandfather was a slave. My grandfather was a sharecropper. And like, water is wet. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh my God. So, I mean, but he seems to be. Getting the attention of a lot of people. Yeah. Like he's close in this race right now. He, he is endorsed by Trump. He's endorsed yeah. by Trump. Um, I think the thing is that he's he's anti-establishment, which people yes. sort of gravitate to, you know, because they've they've seen Debbie Stubbin out there for a long time, and so I think that they're she, they're they're looking at a fresh face and thinking that he could be someone that energizes either Republican Party or just the Senate. I think um, I do appreciate the fact that he has openly critiqued Mm -hmm. the Democratic Party for their neglect of African-Americans. I can appreciate that. But I I don't know about that whole, okay, they've neglected us. So let's go over to Republicans. I'm I'm not with that. Well, 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 John James irks me in the fact (laughs) that he starts talking about. Um, you know, he, he uses that my family was descendant of slaves and kind of this come up rhetoric of mm-hmm. like, I came from nothing. Right. Put something. myself up. Right, right, right. But but, I did it by and, myself. And, and, yeah. and then he talks, he, he goes further after that argument and says, you know, and the thing that about Democrats is that they create dependency because yeah. they believe in social programs and, you know, yeah. food assistance and cash assistance and things like that, that, oh my God, <sighs> you're just going to create a bunch right. of dependent <laughs> black people and we're just going to, you know, never, Amount to anything in our in our natural lives is, <laughs> right. but, but that know. whole like, that whole rhetoric is is it's just a flat out lie. Right. Nobody in America is self made. Exactly. Nobody. That's Everybody right. there. You can always, if you dig back far enough, you will find the policy that made them. Yeah. Right. No, I mean I'm I'm a strong advocate of you know I I came in my own experience um 
you know, I, I came up on public assistance. There was things that, you know, as a kid, um, you know, we, um, you know, I, I, I've been to school with free and reduced lunch and all that. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, that's, those yeah. are things and, and even more I could talk about, but, um, it's not a situation of, you know, people want to be poor. People exactly. don't like, people don't, the struggle sucks. Right. Nobody wants to continue to be poor. Um, and people mm-hmm. will fight, um, you know, their way out of that, that, that existence. Um, so I don't buy into that rhetoric. I think that, especially it's patronizing uh, yeah. to hear another black person say it to a black audience. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, for me, um, I, I just think that um, we are so much more and more deserving than rhetoric like that. And I think it's just the fallacy that of this idea that anyone could be, well, anyone, anyone can be successful, but there's a fallacy that this the American dream is actually real. It's, it technically isn't. I mean, it's, so if you're born into a situation, you got to fight like hell to get out of it. Um, if you don't have the resources or the support to get out of that situation, you're more than likely is going to be cyclical. Um, and it's no fault on your, your own. It's just sort of, that's how the structure was made. And most of the people that I know that, you know, are doing well, you know, mm-hmm. that are black and successful, they're, they're hooked to a baby boomer. Yeah. Yeah. Like people that were like 10, 12, maybe 15 when the mm-hmm. civil rights act back mm-hmm. when affirmative action was only for black people. Yeah. Like timing is everything. It is. Mm-hmm. It definitely is. But the the whole rhetoric around you know um, this idea that black the black people are <laughs> I just say I sort of look at it like the Kanye West sort of thing like oh we oh, like we yeah. we make the choice like we got the choice to get out of this, this is, yeah right. so while we were talking I pulled up some stats so yeah. forty three million food stamp recipients in twenty sixteen thirty six point two percent were white right but here's the thing about that like the poverty line is a farce it should be way like it, it's low now it's like, like 25,000 for a family of four that's dirt poor right. it should it's actually like be higher <laughs> than that now but they don't want to make it seem like there are these right. hundreds of millions of people that are in America that are in poverty because it's, it's, def- it's hard to live off $40,000 it's hard to live off almost $50,000 like it's, it's literally yeah. that poverty line is, is put that low again like as you said to sort of skew it in sort of a sort of specific narrative, um, but there's John James. I, I commend <laughs> I commend him for doing his thing and finding his his avenue. But I'm not voting for him. Uh, so, so, I'm so not voting move. for John James. Absolutely. Well, let's not. move yeah. on from from that. Yeah. Uh, seeing that we don't, I'm not sure how much time we have left. But I want to go into some national politics. Fifteen minutes. Okay. Well, you want to talk about Debbie <laughs> Yeah. Let's let's. let's <laughs> Well, 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 listen, um, Debbie Stabenow, you know, I'm supportive of Debbie um, because, well, first of all, the Senate as an institution, you know, I, I love, I'm a super nerd about these things. Mm. Um, the, the senators are ambassadors of our state, right? Yeah. Like basically, you know, they're elected statewide. Um, and the way in which the Senate works is that the longer you are there, the more clout you have, the more power, the more resources that you mm. ac- acquire and accrue um, for being there. And so, you know, Debbie Stabenow, um, has been there for a while. Um, she actually is the more senior senator in our state. Um, Gary Peters is the junior senator. Um, she has power and clout that if she was to be not reelected, Michigan would suffer significantly for oh, it. For sure. Um, and I actually was super impressed by this um, because just as a statewide level, actually, um, so so Debbie Stabenow, you know, clearly she's in a very strong political fight right now. Um, she got a, 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 a appropriation passed for 
uh, the Sioux Locks, you know, mm-hmm. up in the UP, the, the, um, it's a, it's a big shipping lane. Um, basically if that was to break, it, it, it's, it, it's in need of infrastructure repair, like, like crazy. And mm-hmm. basically if that was to shut down, I think they said if, if it shut down for a week, then like we would lose like some odd millions of dollars nationally in wow. our GDP. Like, oh like it's like, Something that would have like an ignorantly like hard effect on not only Michigan, but the national economy. Um, and the fact that she was able to do that and get that signed by President Trump, who is working to defeat her right now, yeah. speaks to the type of legislative mastermind that she has to be mm-hmm. in order to awesome. face up that pressure while she's actually on the campaign trail right now. Wow. That's amazing. Because I think, well, for me, I've always had a respect for Debbie Slavenow. And I think that she's doing a great job and she will continue to do that job and represent us too. She's voted down every Trump nominee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Every single last one of them. Yeah. So I think she, she's she's the most, um, you know, viable choice. Well, the best choice for me, at least personally. Um, I do want to touch on these this national campaigns, though, because we have some really interesting uh-huh. races coming up across the country. What are some that you're looking forward to? What are, what are your most... The intriguing the matchups hot, right the now. Hottest, the hottest, hottest. All right. Um, oh, well, well, for me, my, my top two, um, Florida, most definitely, yeah. Andrew Georgia. Gillum Andrew versus Gillum. Ron DeSantis. Um, shout out to my boy, Phil Jerez. Um, he was uh, in the fellowship that I was in, and he's one of the people uh, helping run Andrew Gillum's campaign as his oh. political director down there. Um, and also in Nevada, the Senate race um, between Dean Heller and Jackie Rosen. Mm. Um, I was just saying how I just got back um, you know, last week. Um, from helping knock doors and being on the ground out there, um, because really the the lynch linchpin issue is um, you know healthcare, um, because yeah. that is you know literally a promise was made and the promise was broken, mm-hmm. um, and so for that reason, um, you know those are real and, and Nevada's you know to every uh, map and every every pundit that you hear is that mm-hmm. that is truly fifty fifty country, wow. um, and so to see what comes out of that will really. Uh, supposedly determine where this country might be going. So, so as Nevada goes, the yeah. country goes. Wow. <laughs> I, I'm just, I'm looking, yeah. I look for it all the time for Andrew Gillum's grandma quotes. Uh, his, yes. his grandma quotes. I heard dog go holler. <laughs> his grandma Man. quotes, like, oh my god. Man, when he was like. I'm not saying that you're racist, but the, the racist, racist think you're, you're racist. racist. Like, oh. also, and that was not the biggest <laughs> oh, baseball bat to run this in. I'm like, that is a fucking bar. That <laughs> is like, put this in a mixtape right now. <laughs> because how often have like some has somebody like wanted to be like, so I'm not going to say this, but how you act in the company you keep though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And right. I think For that, real. and that alone, I think is a light bulb moment. Like that man went ding on the cop on the yeah. stage right there because there was nothing left to say. And he's quick. That. He's quick with it. Like his snapbacks are so man. Ferocious. Ferocious. He actually has a sizable lead. Yeah. Uh, in Florida, more so than Stacey Abrams. Oh yeah, Stacey Abrams mm-hmm. is tight. Oh, yeah. There's a lot going right on in that race. A lot of go- oh, all that, oh, a lot, that, a lot like, of. Oh my gosh! Is this mean, voter suppression right now? The Secretary on? of State who just casually been campaigning for governor by purging tons of people from the record. How, how does one do that? How can you all be Secretary of State while also running for governor? Isn't that a conflict of interest somewhere? You right? know, right? You know, What's how can you do that? that? It shouldn't be, but like, by golly, you did a good job Seriously. by turning it into one. Yeah. <laughs> like, so, so yeah. the issue is that he's they're, they're basically any issue, any like 
wrong spelling or if it, if the signature doesn't look right, they're basically saying it, that it doesn't match with your voter. There's a list. I mean, like, first of all, so Florida has also state legislation that mm-hmm. if you are not like an active voter, you don't vote enough times, it's swoop. Use it or lose it. Use it or lose it. It's gone. So there's that. There's some folks who, you know, apply for absentee ballots who are outside of the state or come Mm -hmm. from situations like the signatures don't match up. So we're just going to put you in a lump of like, are you just undocumented individuals Mm -hmm. trying to vote? And so recently it's a – I might missay this, but a court in Georgia ruled that for, I believe, the 4,000 they set aside and did yeah. not validate them to vote, they must validate them before election wow. day. And so that's very unusual for the courts to step in and make some sort right. of decision on ele- yeah. sat close to elections because wow. they know from before they're not trying to mess things up. And it, it's very hard to get those decisions made. So it's showing that this is a really big power play yeah. being made in Georgia yeah. and a lot's at stake. So it's 4,000 sure. votes. That, that's approximately yeah. that are being put back in. But that doesn't say anything for the 650. 50 plus that were purged from the rolls over mm, the past right. two years. And this wow. has direct echoes of what we were just talking about earlier with the Voting Rights Act is that this is, you know, and, and Mr. Brian Kemp, uh, the Secretary of State candidate, or well, the one that is the current Secretary of State that's holding up all these votes, um, is openly white supremacist when he talks about in his campaign that's how he's gonna he has a truck to personally round up and deport the illegals quote unquote like you know like that (laughs) all that makes me cringe and it's so vicious like but that has direct echoes as to you know reconstruction back what we were talking about how um, you know, black political power was being suppressed by white election administrators and white um, terrorism. We can't leave that. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and, and, and yeah, like that is something that he's directly interfering in this election to have the first black woman governor um, of the country. I heard. So I think Trump's called her unqualified at one of his rallies. Cackles. <laughs> right. That's, how can he call anyone first off unqualified? But. She's a, a Yale Law graduate, right? I think she was a, I don't know she's a representative in the state or a. She was, I believe, majority leader. Majority leader? She was leader. She, she was, was leader, leader in the yeah. legislature. And then also, too, so flashback, I found this amazing video a couple months back of Stacey Abrams giving a speech in the National Mall, oh, like wow. in 93, wow. 91, like way back in the day. And like, so this is a woman who has been part of the movement, yeah. part of the work yeah. her entire life. And so I just think there's not a lot of folks that. You know, in our generation, you know, our direct generation, not talking about, you know, our elders who came from the civil rights movement mm-hmm. beyond, but like someone who you could see who grew up as an activist and yep. now is like has a chance to be the executive in their state. Yeah. That's huge. And she looks yeah. like us. Like, and y'all. she got still wrong that. She's real. And like, I just think that, you know, more like tangible governors, like another race, I. I'm forgetting where it is, but Johanna Hayes, who was mm-hmm. the National Teacher of the Year, I believe back in 2016, she just said, you know what? Hey, look, this doesn't represent me, so I'm going to try to do it. And, you know, wow. she is the Democratic no- nominee for her seat for Congress. And it just shows that, like, this is a time where everyday people who've been doing work in our communities are running for office to represent us. Mm-hmm. And that is a phenomenal thing. That's, ama- that's an amazing thing to witness. You're just seeing the support that she's getting nationally, mm-hmm. you know, from not just celebrities, but just the people like the citizens like the, the people in the neighborhoods they just you can see the enthusiasm about this opportunity for her to come in and represent them um so i'm excited for that when i'm looking for those developments another good one is the senate race um oh the whoa, was it uh beat what is his name tennessee bredesen no not senate race um beetle beetle oh, oh uh, texas yeah yeah texas. Senate, senate race in texas beetle o'rourke beetle o'rourke versus ted uh ted cruz that is a tight one 
It is. is. That a, that, I heard that that one, it may be a toss-up at this point, but I think Beto is, he could potentially pull that one out. Mm. We will see. I got it. I think so. I think we so think many so. people are, are just so it's over time. Ted Cruz and like oh, him pancaking back and forth of like he has no spine. He's the most spineless <laughs> person like, in the world. Like, you can't like, like real talk. Like you let Trump talk about your wife, right? Yes. <laughs> and then, and then call him. you a liar, and then be like, "Just kidding." Man, you can call me anything. You talk about my wife. You talk about and he's and then you went on the, like then you start. I'm not campaigning for you. You talk about my wife. Like I gotta go home to this woman. That's ridiculous. I'm hoping that he gets. Destroy it in this election. <laughs> you can't, you can't even stand up for your wife. We will see what happens. What but you gonna do for me? Any any other uh, any other big ones? Um, I'll chime in the one from Tennessee that oh, yeah, was not, not expecting to be big, yeah. but you know. Thank you, Taylor Swift. Oh, right, right, right. <laughs> Taylor, the and power so, of Taylor Swift. Former Governor Phil Bredesen is running against Congressman Marshall Blackburn, oh, who has yeah. been very involved in Tennessee. Both have been very involved in Tennessee politics for a yeah. while. And so I'm not <laughs> sure how many new Nashville fans are out there. But about five, six years ago, we went through our own revitalization after the 2010 floods and really you know, transformed the demographics of young people who lived in the city. I mean, now I, I believe 35% of the population of Nashville is between the ages of 18 and 35, uh, which is a wow. huge jump from many years ago. And so that a lot of that occurred over the tenure of Governor Bredesen. And so mm-hmm. a lot of the changes that he wants to see, you know, increasing broadband access throughout the state and, you yeah. know, really creating <laughs> elected leaders that represent the values of this new younger demographic. Yeah. From before, it's usually older, affluent predominantly white folks and yep. so to see that shift because of somebody in a younger generation and, and on top of that an entertainer and say hey you know if you want a government and a society that works for you mm-hmm. that's amazing and it okay. bumped turn up like turn out turn up for turn out turn whatever up for turn. <laughs> <laughs> but turn it bumped turn turn turnout all the way up i believe like twenty five thousand in three days wow i mean 2500 sorry 2500 that's great like, no, no 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 but early voting i will say um it ended on thursday in tennessee right. and two hundred thousand people voted at the culmination last time one million voted wow. this wow. time so that is huge it's competitive and like that has a capacity to give us one of our first democratic senators in a really long yeah. time in the state so one of the greatest benefits of trump being a elected is that now we have actually awakened to this process we understand the importance of voting i think that especially younger people like we see the policies his rhetoric of donald trump it's really turning us off and we're looking at making that change by voting and Um, then like a lot of things have happened where you know the constituency has demanded certain actions be taken and then the politicians are like well we're not you know with the whole issue of gun control they're just like we're not doing it Mm -hmm. right despite what we have requested from them. But I think it's this president's response to everything, Mm -hmm. this lackadaisical, you know, I don't, it's not my problem, I'm going to make jokes, I'm going to make fun of disabled people, Mm -hmm. I'm going to marginalize people who come forward with their truths. I mean, it's not a surprise that you have over 41 Republicans resigning from Congress who, there's no term limits, they could come and stay however long they want. Many of them might think that they went, they'll win, but it's, I think it's really telling that we're seeing such a recess come out of Congress and also so many people overwhelmingly. I mean, our primaries were packed this year mm-hmm. and now general election, like our turnout's going to be insane. It's like people are fed up because now we don't have a compassionate president to say, hey, this is what I'm going to do and commit folks to moving forward. Yeah. You know, we're changing it up. We're taking it back. So before we leave, does anyone, let's do our closing, our closing <laughs> statements. Uh, we like to do this a lot. So on this topic of, of voting, um, these these the election coming up November 6th. Does anyone have any something that they want to leave the audience? 
Um, yeah, I, I guess um, one, one of the issues that is um, that we didn't get to get into today, um, but on the immigration issue, um, you know, I'm really sick um, with the language being uh, used by the Republican Party talking about a migrant quote caravan. Oh, right. Um, language mm. like that, you know, is intentionally used to dehumanize to to not, um, you know, give people the opportunity to be seen as a full person. Um, and I'm increasingly concerned with, you know, the amount of, uh, troops that are being sent to the southern border. Yeah. Um, you know, presumably to intercept, um, you know, those people who are, you know, escaping violence basically and terrorism back in their own homes. Yeah. Um, and so I'm really concerned about that situation and I'll be watching on that. But, um, I wish I could say something more positive, but, <laughs> but I mean, it's, it's a real, it's a real turning point for the country. And hopefully that we'll see a, a lot more positive results come out of these elections. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully in that Senate too, because, uh, I, again, for me, um, it's important to have the house, but the Senate has that longevity, um, that can provide, you know, check that will, um, you know, whoever gets elected in this next wave is in there for six years. So mm-hmm. that's going to be the entire length of Donald Trump's presidency. So basically those new people, um, can't be threatened, you know, mm-hmm. theoretically, so to speak. Like, um, Trump will end as, uh, should, should, hopefully he doesn't get a whole full another four let's, years. Let's hope not. <laughs> but, nah. but I mean, e- even, even if that were the case, then they would be able to presumably have the same force of strength that, mm-hmm. that he does. Um, and put a really stop to to what he's got going on. So, Harrison, yeah. what you think? I mean, I'm I'm thinking broadly about this election. I just want to remind everyone, like it's been amazing, it's been inspiring, mm-hmm. it's been empowering to see how many folks are coming out and you know driving their peers, their colleagues, their friends, their family to come out to vote. But I want to remind people that the action does not end on Tuesday. Yes, it doesn't end on Tuesday. Tuesday is our opportunity as citizens to come yes. in and cast our vote and make a decision. But Tuesday night, the decisions are made. And then we need to now move forward, not only for our new elected leaders, but also holding them accountable. And that Mm -hmm. means, you know, as constituents, attend your town halls. When you have a congressperson come to town, like go see them, write them letters, Mm -hmm. make calls, you know, be engaged, be active and show them that they're there. Because this is such a culture shift that we have right now, because there's enough people who are now involved, who are turning out to vote, who are knocking on doors, who are ready to see some change. But we can't just toss the mantle up to our leaders and say, fix it. We support them as we do it. And especially, too, for, you know, the people of color that are first time candidates are going to be first time elected and young people and folks, you know, who definitely come from quotations, you know, marginalized or underrepresented backgrounds. Like we need to be there to support those candidates when they're in office, too, because they may very well go through hell trying to advocate for us. Mm -hmm. And we need to make sure that we have their back and that we support them as their community, because there's nothing worse than when you send somebody up to the floor and and when they actually try to advocate for you and things don't go their way and they have no support coming Mm -hmm. home as well. It's a it's a circle. It goes both ways. And so keep the momentum moving, you know, keep the enthusiasm moving. If things don't go the way we plan, don't Mm -hmm. give up because we just keep moving up the mountain. Yep. Anthony. Anthony, where have you been? (laughs) No, I, um, I, I, sorry, I had a lot of work to do. I'm sorry for the noises. Um, I don't, I don't really have any final thoughts. I, I agree. Okay. I would say for me, Uh, I believe you should vote to have your voice heard, and yeah. it doesn't stop everything. So I agree. Uh, thank, uh, thanks for being our guest. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not closing it out. I'm just saying my final thought. <laughs> There's no problem. I, I want to say though that the the power truly lies in the people and our ability to um, 
when, when times like this, when we're dealing with with adversarial governments, <laughs> as you may say, um, we can truly take control back. And I think that our vote is the beginning of that. As Harrison has said, that this is not the end. It is only the beginning of our political activism as um, as young people and in this country. And so truly do take this opportunity to vote on November 6th. Um, get your voice heard. You know, vote for those who you believe best align with your interest. And then from there, let us continue to go ahead and fight for it, you know, to and through this um, this next two years and hopefully not another four years after that. Um, but yeah, go ahead. You can close it out. Uh, to be repetitive, uh, being an American citizen is not a spectator sport. You should be doing politics daily, right. like mm-hmm. not just on election day. So, you know, get out there and vote, but also be an informed and educated voter mm-hmm. when you go in the booth. So thank you all again. Uh, please like and share. Like and share. It's been another great episode of Can We Talk.